we're going to just kind of begin, um, hopefully, with an introduction to this idea of what we call missions. I'm going to ask first, how many of you today would say, you know what, I feel today God is calling me to missions? Raise your hand. I feel like God is called. don't be shy, raise your hand, real high. I feel like God's calling me to missions. Okay? It's kind of a trick question. Thank you. My prayer is that in three weeks, every hand in this room goes up. Because missions is not what we just saw there. It is. It's a part of it. Missions is you and I, as soon as we step out this door, going all the way around the world and coming back to this point. And so that's our daily lives, that's our missions offerings, that's giving to people and partnering with them in prayer and finance like that are in other parts of the world, and that's what missions is. Missions is spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to every corner of the world. You and I should not live any differently than the people we just watched on that video. We shouldn't. We're just called to do it here. The same intentionality, the same focus that people who give their lives to Christ and go overseas live with, you and I need to live with right here, right now. I think it's harder for us. I do. I think it's easier, you know, in a sense to leave everything behind, go into a foreign country where everything is different to you and it's a constant reminder of why you're there. For you and I, we're comfortable. It's, in fact, in this nation, that's our goal. Our goal is to be comfortable. Our goal is, how can I be more comfortable today than I was yesterday? How can I have a car that's more comfortable, that doesn't break down as often, that smells nicer, that, you know, it rides better? How can I have a, a home that's more comfortable? How can I get a bed that's more comfortable? How can I get a phone that's more com- It's all about being comfortable. And so it's hard for us. And in fact, the scripture warns us of this. Be careful when... When, you lit, when you're rich, when you have all of this, because your hearts can be led astray easily. You know, Pastor John alluded to it, all of us are busy. We live in a society that is constantly busy, but we sometimes aren't busy with the right thing. I mean, we try so hard to make a good life for our kids and let them experience all of these different activities and have a well-rounded childhood, but we don't build the kingdom of God in their lives daily. You know, we give you this book to help you do that. So read this story of this missionary overseas and begin now to to plant in your children these seeds of, of the kingdom of God expanding beyond their little bubble. Help them to be to to connect to it at a young age because then when they grow up it'll stay with them. For those of us that have grown up without it, it's sometimes hard for us to connect. It's hard to teach an old dog new tricks right? And so we want to, over these three weeks, that's what my hope is, is that this just gets so ingrained in our hearts. And here's the thing, it's got to be a supernatural process. You know, I can't cleverly present the gospel to you in some way and then, you know, hope that you pick it up. The only way this is going to happen is if the Holy Spirit opens our hearts in such a way that we just, it connects with us. And it stays with us. And so, right now, I want us, just put your hand on your heart like this, and let's pray. Holy Spirit, over these next few weeks, would you open our hearts to see things that we've never seen before, to hear things that we've never heard before, to receive a call to missions that we've not received before. We pray that you would would just tear open our hearts and that you would pour the love that you have not only for us, but for every person on this planet inside of us. Do an amazing work in our lives. Change the way that we think. Change the way that we live. In these weeks ahead, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
I want to continue to challenge you in the area of missions giving. Uh, every week, we're going to have our missions basket out through this month. Uh, continue to, to do something that you didn't plan to do. Continue to ask God to help you do things that you, you, you didn't think you could do. We're going to talk about missions giving and faith promises in two weeks, but you know, we were yesterday when we were at Fine Arts Festival, we were challenged by a youth pastor in our state, and uh, he reminded us that we're, we're comfortable. And you know, as, as, we, as I told you this morning, I will, I'll never really apologize for asking you to give money to missions. I'm, I won't. Because here's what I believe. I believe no matter what we do in the area of missions, how much we give, how much we serve, when you and I stand before Jesus, we will have this awareness that we should have done and could have done more. No matter what we do. I mean, there's not a person on this planet that's going to stand before Jesus and think, I did enough. We're all going to have this just amazing awareness in that moment that there were so many opportunities that we missed. Not just in the area of giving, but in the area of telling others about him or, or planting seeds somewhere. I mean, we're, there's just going to be that realization. And so I'm going to challenge you as much as I can to, to sow into the kingdom of God. Because that's an investment, and you are going to get a return on your investment. And you may not get your return on your investment until you stand before Jesus, but I promise you, nothing you do for the kingdom of God is ever wasted. And so I want to challenge us to do more than we've ever done before. And so I won't ever uh, apologize for that, but uh, I'll just keep challenging you. And just because I challenge you doesn't mean that we're not doing anything. It just means I know there's more we can do. I understand it. We live in a culture where we are so wealthy, it's just unbelievable. We don't even realize how wealthy we are until we kind of pick ourselves up and move into a culture where they're not as wealthy. And not just in the area of finance. Do you realize in, in, in Myanmar, where I spent two weeks, there are literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ one time. And you and I sit in a church pew week after week after week after week hearing message after message after message after message. When Jesus told the parable of the talents and said some people were given 10 talents and some were given five and some were given one, you and I have been given the gospel over and over and over and over again and we will be judged with what we did with it. What did we do with it? How did we take what we had received and go and give it to others? It's not just, you know, I, I heard the gospel and so, you know, I cleaned up my life and I stopped swearing and I stopped doing things I shouldn't do and I stopped looking at porn and I was faithful to my wife and I didn't lie. I mean, all of that's good stuff. But what have you done with what we've received And I don't want you today just to feel guilty, but I want you to, to come to this realization that there's more that we need to do. Because one day when we stand before him, we're going to realize there was more we should have done. And I don't want anyone to turn around and say, Pastor Tom, why didn't you tell us? So I'd rather make you a whole lot uncomfortable over these next few weeks than to have you stand there and search for words to say. I want you to be able to lay it all before him and say, God, here's what I did. Here's what you gave me and here's what I did with it. And I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to hear him say, well, Lord, you gave me this and I, I hid it. Because to that servant, he said, wicked and lazy. But we're, we're way off track. So I mentioned to you earlier, we... Um, We've got lots of information that we, we stuck in your programs today, and I'd encourage you to, to read through those. Those, are, those statistics are not just numbers. You and I, because we are part of the Assemblies of God, are part of a fellowship of believers that stretches around the world. And you and I, when we put a dollar in this basket, this is the return on your investment. Okay, I know it's hard sometimes to see and it's hard sometimes to, to make practical, but every time we give and every time we pray for these missionaries that are serving around the world, this is the return we get on that investment. 
Okay, and God takes great records and he sees your giving and he sees your prayers and he sees your faithfulness to stand with these, these people that have gone and served in different parts of the United States and in different parts of the world and he is putting in your account, you know, the Bible says store up treasure in heaven and he's putting in your account these results. This is what we are a part of in the assemblies of God. And so it's not just those of us in this room. We, our reach goes far beyond. And I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. The fact that I could take a dollar bill from my wallet and instead of spending it on a cup of coffee, I could put it in this basket and see that kind of return come from that. Because here's the thing. God says, just give what you have. Well, Lord, if I had more money, don't, don't if I had, give what you have. And when we give what we have, when we give the time that we have, when we give the effort that we have, when we give the dollars that we have, God breathes on that and he expands it. He's not asking you to give something you don't have. He's asking you to give what you do have. And when you do give what you have, there's a way that he multiplies it so you have more. This isn't just about money. This is about our time. This is about our energy. I just don't have the energy. Give the energy that you do have and you'll find that God will breathe on that energy and give you more energy. Well, Pastor Tom, I'm so tired. I just, I can't do anything. Well, then it's nothing's gonna change. There's so much potential in this room, but to realize that potential, we have gotta do something we've never done before. Too many of us are saying, God, I need you to do something. I need you to give me something. And God's like, no, I've already given it to you. And as you start faithfully using what I've entrusted to you, I'm going to expand it and you're going to have more. As you start using the time that you have available to you, I'm going to expand that time and I'm going to make it go further. As you start using the energy that you have, I'm going to bless that and you're going to find you have more energy. How is it possible to have more energy doing more when I didn't have that energy when I did less? That's the kingdom of God. Please don't dumb it down to just being about dollars and cents. It's about everything that we have. Sometimes when you start to use an ability that God has given you, it unlocks another ability that you didn't even know you had. Does that make sense? I mean, you, God's given you a talent and you start using it for the kingdom, not for yourself, for the kingdom. And then all of a sudden you're like, hey, I didn't even know I had this ability. Everything in the kingdom is meant to grow and it's meant to grow with use. <coughs> so this idea of missions, what is it? Missions is spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to every corner of the world. We do that personally right here in Huron. We do that corporately right here in Huron. We do that by sending missionaries into other parts of the world where we can't go. We do that by going on short-term missions trips to see the work that's being done and by participating in that work. Here's the thing. Most short-term missions trips really don't do much good for the people we go for. Does that make sense? When we go on short-term missions trips, like every year, uh, some of our youth are going to be going to El Salvador this summer, and they're going to serve in a missions trip. And I'm not saying that they don't, it doesn't accomplish anything, but all of that money would be better spent, in one sense, just sending it to the missionaries that are already there so they can build the kingdom of God. But the impact that it has on the lives of the students that go makes it exponentially greater. So that's why we take short-term mission trips. Not because they do some amazing thing while we're there. I mean, God does work while we're there. Don't, I'm not trying to sell it short. But we do it because we understand what it's going to do in the lives of the people that are there. If you've never been on a short-term mission trip, you need to go. You do. You need to get in a culture that's not your own because God will do some amazing things in your life in that time. I just keep getting sidetracked. I, maybe I should sit down. 
1914, the Assemblies of God was formed. I'm going to take you on a little history lesson. And it was formed because a small group of believers began to seek and try to understand this thing called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They began to experience the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They began to to study what the Word taught about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And they began to find that it was in the Word, but it wasn't being taught or experienced in their day. And so as they began to experience it, they were, many of them were booted out of their churches because their church didn't want to have anything to do with it. Even though, if we look in the scripture, in John, in, if I can get that to move, can we, can you bump me to that? In Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist says these words, I baptize you with water, those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who's greater than I am, so much greater I'm not worthy even to be a slave or carry sandals. He's talking about Jesus. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, with fire. John taught it. Jesus goes on in Luke chapter 24 and tells his disciples, I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. Stay here in the city till the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. What's he going to fill us with? Power from heaven. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says it this way. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, so that you can have great church services. You will receive power so that you can get a shot of energy to make it through your day. You will receive power to overcome sin. And I mean, all of those things are true. But Jesus said, you'll receive power to be my witnesses. First in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, and even to the farthest parts of the world. That's the point of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The early church taught it. The early church believed in it. The early church practiced it. But unfortunately, the church began to drift away from the teaching of it. The scripture warns us all the time, don't drift away. Be careful that you don't drift away from the teachings you've been taught. Because as Americans, as humans, as people, we have a tendency to drift away from things that we don't constantly rehearse. If you get married and you don't constantly rehearse your love for one another by dating, by talking, by sharing, by doing things to serve one another. That's how you rehearse love. Love isn't going to stay. And somewhere down the road, you're going to say, well, we just fell out of love. No, you stopped rehearsing love. And so you drifted away from it. It's the same in the scriptures. You drift away from sound teaching. The church had drifted away from the teaching of the baptism in the Holy Spirit and its purpose. That wasn't the only thing they drifted away from. Ever heard of Martin Luther? Ever hear of the Reformation? The church had drifted away from all kinds of stuff. And Martin Luther comes on the scene and he begins to read the Bible and he begins to look at the church and he's looking in the Bible and he's looking at the church and he tacks 95 theses on the door of a church. 95 ways they've drifted from the scripture. God love him. He should have had 96 and put the baptism in the Holy Spirit on there too. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is about missions. It's about being empowered to be his witnesses. And so in 1914, this group of believers come together and they realize that as they experience this thing that scripture teaches about and they experience it, they they form together the assemblies of God. Now many of them got kicked out of the denominations they were part of because their denominations didn't like what they were doing. And so they didn't want to form a denomination. They were afraid of it. But they realized that the purpose of this baptism was to evangelize the lost. It was to be his witnesses here on the earth. And so they formed a a cooperative fellowship, as they called it, so that they could partner together to take the message of Jesus Christ to the farthest corners of the world. And as you begin to see the statistics in the next few weeks that we put in your bulletin, to see how the Assemblies of God has grown worldwide in just 100 years is astronomical. It's grown faster and farther than any other denomination in history. And, oops, I used the D word. The denomination. 
But this group of churches banded together to take the message of Jesus Christ around the world. Now, there's a problem in the assemblies of God is that we're in danger of another drift. We're in danger of taking the baptism in the Holy Spirit and drifting away from its purpose. In some of our churches, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is all about me. It's all about me feeling good. It's all about me, uh, you know, getting that boost of energy that we've talked about. And we forget that the baptism in the Holy Spirit was given to empower us to be his witnesses. In some churches, the baptism in the Holy Spirit isn't even talked about. Assemblies of God churches. We've drifted that far. And we're still trying to do missions, but we're doing it without the one that came to give us power to do it in the first place. In the area of missions in the assemblies of God, we have people that sit in our assemblies of God churches week after week after week who have never one time told anyone about the gospel of Jesus Christ with their own lips. That's a drift. We have churches in the assemblies of God that don't give one dollar to missions in a year. That's a drift. I'm grateful for the money that we as a church can give to missions. I'm grateful for those that are in their daily lives sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I don't want to sit here today and look at those churches and say, man, those churches should be more like us. I want to look at those churches and say, if we're not careful, that's where we're going to end up. If we don't take this moment to refocus what what we've been called to do, you and I are going to stop giving. You and I are going to stop telling. You and I are going to stop praying. You and I are going to stop serving and sending. And I don't care how what kind of a history we've had with the Lord, he's not going to say, "Hey, well done for 50 years." He's going to say, "What were you doing when you when you left the earth?" It's time for you and I to take the baton from the last generation and run our course in the area of missions. In John chapter four, if you have a Bible, somebody's like, are we ever gonna get to the Bible? Yeah, we're gonna get there. John chapter four. In fact, we've got a whole lot of Bible and a little bit of time, but we're gonna cover as much as we can. In John chapter four, Jesus is meeting with a woman If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. Uh, John chapter 4 is not up on the screen. We're going to walk through just these first few verses of this story. And Jesus is on his way. Well, let's just read it. John chapter 4, we'll start verse 1. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, the Pharisees tried to put John and Jesus at odds with each other all the time. And so Jesus, the scripture tells us, Jesus never worried about the opinions of man. Here in John chapter 2, it says he didn't entrust himself to people because he knew what was in their hearts. There were some people that wanted to make him king. Jesus didn't let them make him king. He listened to what the Father was saying, and he didn't care about the opinions of man, whether they were good or whether they were bad. And so Jesus, understanding that the Pharisees were trying to stir something up, heard the voice of the Father, apparently, tell him to leave where he was and go back to Galilee where he had been called to go. Now, Jesus is in Missouri, if you will, and he needs to return to South Dakota, and he's got to go through Nebraska to get there. That's what the Bible teaches, okay? Now, for you and I, that's not a big deal. But now, suppose that you and I absolutely hate people from Nebraska. I mean, I'm not a Cornhuskers fan, but I don't, I don't know that I, I hate the people from Nebraska. But see, the people in Samaria were Jews that had been left when the Assyrians took the, the Jews into captivity. They left some people behind and they brought foreigners in to live among them. So they began to intermarry with them. They began to add things to the Jewish heritage and culture, and they became a mixed race of people. They became mixed religious people. 
And so they, they kept to some of the traditions of the word, the Pentateuch, and they, they didn't keep others. And so Jews, when they were brought back from captivity, who had remained faithful to the Lord, even though they were in captivity, didn't like these people that were there mixed. So if you had to travel from Galilee in the north to um, Judea in the south, you would go through Iowa to bypass Nebraska. Because even the dirt from Nebraska on your shoes would contaminate you. You would even pray to the Lord that no people from Nebraska would ever go in the resurrection. That's what the Jews prayed. They didn't want any of the Samaritans in the resurrection. And so Jesus, it says, had to go through Samaria. He didn't have to go through Samaria. He could have gone through Iowa. But Jesus knew there was a reason he had to go through Samaria. If we're going to make the choice to take the gospel to any place, we have to be willing to open our eyes to where God wants to take us. We have to make a choice every day. Everywhere we go becomes a place to, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everywhere. Everywhere. Any place that we go. In verse 5, eventually, he comes to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink? For Jesus to ask her for a drink, he humbled himself. Because for a Jew to talk to a Samaritan, for a Jew to talk to a woman, would have just been a huge no-no. There would not have been a Jew alive other than Jesus that would talk to a Samaritan woman at the well and would even dare consider drinking from her pitcher because drinking from her pitcher would have made him ceremonially unclean because she was a Samaritan and Jesus humbles himself and asks her for a drink he puts himself in a position to ask her he's willing to engage this woman in conversation see you and I need to be willing to engage people in conversation Far too many times we pass people by because in our minds we think, well, they won't want to hear the message. Or we pass people by because they're not like us or we're afraid or we, we label them because of how they look. They're not going to be open to receiving the gospel. Jesus purposely goes through Samaria because he wants the disciples to realize, don't limit me. It's interesting because other times when Jesus sent his disciples out, he said, go to the Jews, don't go to Samaria. And now he stops in Samaria so that they understand every person needs to hear this message. So Jesus makes the deliberate choice to go through Samaria, to make that in any place. He makes a deliberate choice to engage this woman in conversation. Then in verse 10, Jesus says to her, if only you knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? Besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and animals enjoy?" Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. I personally believe the woman is being sarcastic with Jesus. I don't think she believes at this moment that Jesus can give her this living water. Remember, there's a lot of animosity between the Jews and Samaritans. And now Jesus is beginning to speak with her about spiritual things. 
Really? Here we go again. You Jews think you have it right and we don't have it right. Yeah, give me this living water. You think you're greater than my ancestor Jacob? You think you're greater than the one who dug this well and gave us this well and we've used this well for all these years? See, people tell us that we shouldn't try to engage people in conversations about spiritual things because it'll be a turnoff. You gotta practice friendship evangelism. You know, get to know someone for 30 years or so and then hope somewhere in that 30 years a spiritual conversation comes up. And all of the reasons they give to do that are right here. People aren't gonna understand it. People are gonna say, who do you think you are telling me that your way is better? This woman does all of them. And then she even mocks it. Yeah, give me some of this living water so that I can drink it and I don't have to come here and draw water anymore. See, Jesus was not afraid to engage her in a spiritual conversation even though his culture taught him that's not the way to go. You and I cannot be afraid to start engaging people daily in spiritual conversations. In Romans chapter 10, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? I'm not trying to discount the idea of being friends with people and trying to use that relationship to, to tell them about the Lord, but please don't try to wait even a month before you begin to, to talk spiritually with this person. The problem is, you and I don't even talk about spiritual things with each other. We don't stand in the foyer and say, hey, tell, tell me what God said to you this week. Tell me what God's doing in your life. So we don't even engage each other enough in spiritual conversations, and so we don't know how to engage the lost in spiritual conversations. Would you say amen to that? Would you at least admit with me, we don't know how to engage the lost in spiritual conversation? Because that's step one. Admit we have a problem. Lord, we have a problem. We're afraid to engage them. We've believed the lie from our culture that says we shouldn't engage them, and we just don't know what to do. Glad. Glad we've taken step one because now we're going to be able to take step two. Jesus says in verse 16, go get your husband. Go get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands and you aren't married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Woo! That's evangelism. But see, here's the thing. People have got to be confronted with sin. The reason this woman doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about when he says living water is because Paul tells us in Corinthians, the people without the Spirit of God living in them cannot understand spiritual things. But it doesn't stop him from trying to engage her in the conversation. But at some point, she's got to be confronted with sin. Because if there's no repentance then the Holy Spirit cannot come in to live in us and we cannot understand spiritual things. Sin has got to be confronted in our lives. That's the message of the gospel. And Jesus does that. And he does it through a gift of the Holy Spirit. How does Jesus know this woman has had five husbands? How does he know that she's living with someone? Because he's observed her? Because he sat back for a few years and, 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 and watched all of the men? No, because the Holy Spirit in that moment revealed to him what to say. That's called a gift of the Spirit. And I know that some of you are like, no, Jesus just did that because he's the Son of God. Then Paul is a liar. Because Paul says that Jesus emptied himself of his rights and privileges as God and he came to the earth in human form and he's faced everything just like us. And Jesus then would be a liar because Jesus said, the works that I have done, you also will do. And if that's not true, then he's lying. And so if he's engaging this woman doing this work because he's God, then he's tricked us and lied to us. But he hasn't. 
The power of the Holy Spirit at work in his life. Why is the baptism in the Holy Spirit important? Why is it important when we gather together in these services that we listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying during worship time? That we don't sit back and read our, our program and what's coming or read through this or read our annual report or you know, think about what we're gonna do afterwards or scroll through Facebook. Or Why is it important that we engage ourselves in worship and engage ourselves with the Holy Spirit and give a prophetic word or give a message in tongues and interpretation or come up to the and say, I feel like someone's here that needs prayer because we gotta learn how to do this because there are women and men sitting at a well waiting for us to come by in the power of the Holy Spirit and give them living water. And if we're afraid to do it here, we're not gonna do it out there. If we're not engaged in it here, we won't be engaged in it out there. We'll just be hoping, oh Lord, please today open a door for someone to, to ask me a question about spiritual things. Jesus did not wait for this woman to ask him a spiritual question. He prodded her, he engaged her, he respectfully and humbly engaged her. It's not about just devaluing people and seeing them, well, you know, we can't just see people as souls. We have to see them as individuals. Jesus didn't do that. He humbled himself before her. But he still engaged her in a spiritual conversation. He went against everything his culture taught. He went against everything human nature would say. And he teaches her about spiritual things. We need the gifts of the Holy Spirit to operate in our lives because the Holy Spirit was given for this purpose. So that any place we take the gospel, any place. So the woman goes, she leaves her jar. We're gonna have to skip ahead. You can read the whole passage later. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. You don't need me. Verse 31, the disciples come back. The disciples come back urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. They're concerned about him. I mean, God love them. They went to get food. Jesus is here talking to a woman. They're confused about that when they come back. He's talking to a Samaritan woman. Should someone tell him we don't do that? And so she goes away, and then they're like, dude, you gotta eat. And Jesus says this, I have a food to eat that you know nothing about. Did somebody bring him food while we were gone? I'm not making it up. That's what it says right there. Did someone bring him food when they were gone? The disciples asked each other. Jesus said, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Jesus is not saying it's, you, we never need to eat again. But Jesus is saying, you know what? If you eat again, you're gonna get hungry. But if you learn to live for more than just physical things, you're gonna find a nourishment that goes far beyond it. And sometimes your physical needs aren't gonna be met and it's gonna be okay. But if all you're doing is living for the physical, if all you're doing is living for the here and now, there's gonna come a time where you're not gonna get enough. Nobody's gonna be able to help you enough. No amount of food is gonna be enough. No amount of money is gonna be enough. Nothing is ever gonna be enough. But if you live for the kingdom of God, you'll find that even when you don't have enough, you'll have enough. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach them. Jesus says, don't say four months between planting and harvest. I say, wake up, look around you. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages. The fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants, another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you get to gather the harvest. The scary thing about the disciples is they lived with Jesus day after day after day after day, and they're not making this connection. They're not making the connection that it's not about the physical. It's about the spiritual. It's about the value of the person that's standing in front of you. It shows us why people can come to church week after week after week after week and sit in a pew and never share the gospel with anyone. They'll hang around Jesus, but they never get this inside of them to the point where that person who's standing in front of them is, has such value that they can't help but share the gospel with them. These pictures all around this room are not just faces on a wall. These are people. Every face on this wall is a person with a story. 
And you and I have got to stop looking at the crowds and we've got to start seeing the faces. We've got to start seeing the faces. We've got to stop making excuses. We've just got to lift up our eyes and see the harvest. In verse 39, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because they heard what the woman had said. He told me everything I did. They came out to see him. They begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Jesus changed an entire village because he asked a woman for a drink. You and I could do the same. You and I could change our entire neighborhood if we're willing to make any place we go a message, an opportunity to share the gospel. If we're willing to just engage people in conversation. If we're willing to engage them in a spiritual conversation. If we're willing to understand the gifts of the Holy Spirit and seek his filling in our lives daily so that we're ready when he prompts us to speak and gives us a word that's going to open their lives to the gospel. It's not just a program. It's not just a method. I mean, remember a few years ago when Dominic Galati came and he taught us the, the track that we use and you just read this track to people and take them through the method of evangelism. And it's, I don't want to knock it. People are coming into the kingdom because of this method. But sharing the gospel is not a, a method. It's not a strategy. It's a daily walk with the Holy Spirit and just engaging people in conversation. And sometimes you're going to engage them in a conversation and you're going to step all over yourself and you're going to look like an idiot. Perfect. Better to look like an idiot trying to share the gospel than to look like an idiot standing before Jesus never sharing it. That sound like a fair trade? I don't think Jesus is ever going to come and say, you know, you looked like such a fool today. The way that you shared the God, you ought to be ashamed. Shut up. Don't say another word until you figure out the 10 steps of salvation and no, that's not what he's going to do. But I guarantee you, when you miss a conversation, the Holy Spirit's going to come alongside and say, you missed that one. I wanted you to share. Not so that you can walk around all day like this. Such a terrible person, I didn't share the gospel with that one. So that you say, you're right, I missed that one. Help me not to miss the next one. This is a walk with the Holy Spirit that he wants us to take. The problem is, it can't be about guilt. I wanted us to read through the book of, or the chapter of Jonah, but I want to encourage you, read Jonah chapter four this week. Because the story of Jonah is amazing. God sends Jonah to the Ninevites because he wants them to repent, and Jonah doesn't want to go. So remember, he runs away, he goes the other way, and he gets swallowed by a big fish, and then he gets spit out on dry land. Do you know why he didn't want to go? Because he didn't like the Ninevites. Who are you supposed to witness to this week? Whoever you don't like. I mean, the reason the Bible says pray for your enemies, bless those who persecute you. Uh huh. In fact, in Jonah chapter 4, Jonah actually tells God when the Ninevites repent and they experience revival, even though later on they didn't stick with it. So I believe it's Nahum that comes along and they, he prophesies their demise, and Jonah's probably like, why couldn't I have been Nahum? Because Nahum's heart was in the right place and Jonah's wasn't. So God sent Jonah first. That makes sense? God always does that because he wants to reveal what's in our hearts. And Jonah actually tells God, this is why I didn't want to come because I knew that you were slow to get angry, that you're compassionate, and you were going to forgive them. <laughs> That's what Jonah says to God. But in that chapter, you can hear it. You can hear the heart of God. And here's what, my, here's what I fear. You and I come to church week after week after week after week, but we're not hearing the heart of God. I mean, you and I know he loves us, and that, that's awesome. 
I mean, he died on the cross for us. Everything we talked about today, that's true for you. And, and he does. He, he loves us. But he doesn't just love us. He loves our neighbor. And he loves our coworker. And he loves our enemy. And he loves that guy right there that's walking in front of the Shwedagon Pagoda in Myanmar that you and I don't know his name. And he wants us to do something about it. All of them. And he's given us everything we need to do it. If we'll just look up. If we'll get our eyes off of just the material stuff. How much food can I eat? How much stuff can I gather? Jesus says, look up. The harvest is right now. You're going to plant and harvest side by side. What an exciting time to live. Jesus says himself, I didn't, God didn't send me into this world to condemn the world. He sent me to save the world. All of this is from God, Paul says, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciled. That word reconciled just means to bring together. God brought us to himself through Christ and he gave us the ministry of bringing other people to him. God is bringing the world to himself through Christ. He's no longer counting people's sins against them. He's committed to us this message of reconciliation. But here's the kicker, and this is what we're going to pray. Christ's love compels us. Remember when I said it needed to be supernatural? Like, I may have made you feel guilty enough today to get you to think about this through the rest of the day, or at least through lunch. But if this is going to be a life change for us, then the love of God has to just expand in our hearts so much that it just compels us. So it gets to the point when my neighbor's in front of me that the love Christ has for them overwhelms fear, anxiety, thoughts, everything, to the point where I just open my mouth and say it. That's what has to happen. In order for that to happen, we have to take step one. Remember what step one was? Admit we have a problem. And so in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to admit we have a problem. I want you to admit, you know what? My eyes, I'm looking down. I got to get my eyes up. I've been hanging out with Jesus, but I'm so unaware that the harvest is ripe. I've been so busy with my job and my work and my kids' activities that I'm missing the fact there's a harvest all around me. And don't feel, please don't feel like, oh, no, now i got to add one more thing to my life. No, this will be, this is your life. Okay? This just goes with us everywhere we go. This goes with us to our kids' activities. This goes with us to work. This goes with us everywhere we are. This is now who we are. We're missionaries, every one of us taking the message of Jesus Christ to every corner of the world. And so today, if you would say, you know what? I have a problem. I'm not seeing the harvest. I'm not doing enough. God, I need you to expand love in my heart. You may be doing some. But I believe there's potential in this room, in every one of us, that is yet to be realized. Meaning no matter how much we're doing, God has more. He's got more. And I believe when we start doing it, we're going to find the truth of that statement where Jesus said, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God. And so if that's you and you say, you know what, Pastor Tom, you went long, but I know you're just a human and you did your best to get it in that time but you really went on a lot of rabbit trails. But I hear what you're saying. I got a problem. If that's you, I want you to stand to your feet and say, I got a problem. I got a problem. I'd encourage you, if you, if you don't feel that in your heart, don't, don't just stand. I want you to stand because you say, you know what, I got a problem. And I want you to put your hand on your heart again like we did at the beginning. And we're just going to admit this to the Lord. We're going to ask him to do a work in us. But then you and I are going to have to make some changes. 
And so, Father, today we admit we've got a problem. God, we aren't aware enough of the harvest around us. We aren't engaged enough with your Holy Spirit to learn how his gifts operate in our lives and to see them operate in our lives on a regular basis so that we can be your witnesses. We don't understand the value and the love that you have for the people in front of us. We've been too busy. We've been too focused on material things, physical things. We have a problem. But God, today, we recognize that problem. And we recognize that you're the solution to that problem. And so again, we ask you to open up our hearts so that your love would fill us in such a way, not just your love for us, but God, your love for every human being on this planet. God, literally this week that you would begin to ruin us. God, that we can't look at these pictures on the wall the same way anymore. God, that we can't look at our coworkers, even the ones that frustrate us to no end, the same anymore. God, give us spiritual eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. And Holy Spirit, give us courage. Give us courage and boldness to engage people in conversation, to engage them in conversations about spiritual matters. Guide us. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to say it. But you promised to help us. So we're going to look to you for help. Father, over these next three weeks, plant your heart for missions in our hearts in a greater way, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep praying that prayer as you go through this week and get your eyes up. God's gonna open doors and opportunities, but we're the ones that are gonna have to say the, say the word. We're gonna have to engage people in conversation. So, go out into your mission field. Any place you go, spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. God bless you as you go.